from Booksmart Studios. This is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and I want to do one of our very special episodes because of certain missives that I'm receiving and what they seem to spell and the fact that they are actually quite applicable to messages that I try to get across on this program, as people used to call such things. That is that I get a lot of mail complaining about the voice of one person on national public radio. Yeah, I want to do this episode about this, because it really is a very interesting issue that takes us a lot of places. There is a national public radio voice. Now she hosts Weekend Edition on Sunday, so she's a high-profile voice at this point. And her name is Aisha Roscoe, and she is black. And every now and then, I've gotten four or five messages like this. Somebody writes me, white, I presume, asking whether it's racist that they don't like her voice. They don't think she should be on the radio. Now, Roscoe is black, and she has what we could call a black voice. There are many people who have a problem with that voice, and we need to dig into why and whether it has to be this way. And so, for example, just as a kind of a preview, these people are asking, are they racist to not like her voice? And I would say, one, not necessarily, but two, we're at a point where in a more just America, her speech style wouldn't be considered wrong for radio. I think we need to think beyond. We need to be like people who got used to Picasso. So, what's the issue? Here is a clip of Roscoe sounding very much like herself recently as I record this. Okay, we're going to hear more about that United Auto Workers strike, which is expanding. The union says it's making good progress negotiating with Ford, but that's not been the case with GM and Stellantis. So 38 distribution centers for those car companies are now on strike. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom spoke with GM workers joining the strike in Mississippi. Now, if you go online, you can find ample testimony to the idea that the voice you just heard is quote-unquote loud or high-pitched or grating. Those are the terms. Or there is one person in one conversation who says, help, I almost can't listen to NPR on the weekend since she became a host. Whatever happened to having a radio voice? Or someone else who says, I'm sorry, but Aisha's voice is insufferable. Who in their right mind wants to hear that first thing on a Sunday morning? I cannot imagine someone more ill-suited for audio. Think of that. That voice that we just heard. Like, Mike, play a little bit of it again, please. But that's not been the case with GM and Stellantis. So 38 distribution centers for those car companies are now on strike. And this person asks, who in their right mind wants to hear that? Okay, What's, what's going on here? There's an easy answer, and a lot of you probably know that I'm not going to go for the easy answer. The easy answer is people don't like her voice because she's black. But no, that's too easy. Obviously, people consider her voice publicly inappropriate. But the thing is, these days especially, there are many, many identifiably black voices on the radio and in podcasts where nobody, black or not, seems to have any problem with it. In fact, black voices, identifiably black voices, could be argued to be rather fashionable these days. Blackness is associated, for better or for worse, with authenticity, with warmth, 
It's not that people have trouble with black voices per se. So, for example, let's try MSNBC's Joy Reid. Joy Reid speaks in a very standard way when she's on television. But on the other hand, most Americans, just listening to her voice, not being able to see her face and not knowing who she was, would be able to, probably after a few seconds, identify her as having a black voice. And so, for example, let's hear this. But we begin tonight with the former president of the United States, who keeps reminding us who he is and what he would do to this country if he were to return to the White House. Today, while in South Carolina, the prolific liars campaign lied again after Trump talked about buying a gun. Now, folks, you don't have to feel guilty if you're hearing that voice is black and wondering whether that's wrong. There is a such thing as a black voice. The vast majority of black Americans have certain speech patterns to varying extents that a person who grows up American subconsciously learns to identify as something other than what you might call mainstream white English. We're going to look at it in a little bit more detail soon, but a lot of it is about vowels, and then it's also just about the general tenor of the voice. There are acousticians who call it jitter and shimmer, those two factors. And if you translate those into terms that we're more familiar with, it's that you might have a sense that a black voice is, there's a a huskiness or a grain, and in a pleasant way. Think Viola Davis, that's real. To varying extents, and even a tiny bit of it, says something to Americans that it's a black voice. Actually, linguists have analyzed this. Americans are very good at, after a few seconds, identifying whether somebody's white or black, even if they're you know reading from practically the phone book. So it has nothing to do with the subject matter. It's actually scientifically an interesting thing. But the reason that you can almost always tell, and you know, let's face it, we can. The reason you can almost always tell, even if you can't see the person, even if it's just the radio or a podcast, even if they're a very standard speaker, is because there is a such thing as a black voice, and there's nothing wrong with that. Another example, Melissa Harris-Perry is black. I think she's biologically mixed, as we used to say, but identifies as black. And you can hear it often in her speech. Here's a bit of her on The Takeaway that she used to host. Here at The Takeaway, we're marking Black Maternal Health Week by giving you a chance to listen back to the deep dive on childbirth that my co-host Dorian Warren and I took back in December. Here you go. Or, for example, and what I mean by the really subtle cases is NPR has a new show called 1A. The host is Jen White. And despite her last name, if you listen to a bit of Jen White, what you hear is a frankly gorgeous voice. And most Americans would know after probably about 15 seconds that it is not a white woman. Here's an example. Well, Josh tweeted, every time someone from the Democratic Party has said climate change will be addressed in a future package, it never comes. Just be honest and say you're willing to sacrifice it. I mean, even when you look at just the politics of this, is that really a core part of the tension you're seeing within the party? Absolutely. I think that there is this frustration among many House Democrats. Why is climate change always on the cutting room floor? And notice that she's talking to someone else. Her name happens to be Eva McKend. And you can tell she's black, too. And this is the thing. No one has any problem with the voices of Joy Reid, Melissa Harris-Perry, or Jen White. I sincerely doubt if anybody is writing in and saying that those voices are grating or loud or high-pitched. I certainly have never heard it. And people tend to write to me about such things. So what's What's going on with Aisha Roscoe's voice? Black alone is not the issue. Apparently, it's that her voice is too 
black. What does that mean? You can actually analyze it. I highly suspect that what people are hearing in Roscoe is a, a complex of subtle things. It's not that she's loud. She's no louder than anybody else. High-pitched, maybe, but no higher pitch than many voices that you hear on NPR and beyond. And grading, I think that that's subjective. What people are hearing is, for example, the sound ah. Not in just any one word, but in general, where she puts the sound ah. If you listen to that same clip, listen to the way she says ah. Not spelled A-H, but just the sound ah. So, for example... Progress. The union says it's making good progress negotiating with Ford. Again, Mike? Making good progress negotiating with Ford. Or not been the case. But that's not been the case with GM and Stellantis. No, it's further back. It's not nasal. It's back in the throat. So instead of ah, ah. Instead of ah, ah. In other words, the same ah in the French word for soul, am. But when she does it, it doesn't sound French. It's part of black American vowels. Or a little something else in this same clip. Notice, not with GM, but with GM. Goes by very quickly. But that's not been the case with GM and Stellantis. So, she's sounding blacker than, for example, Jen White or Melissa Harris Perry generally do. Or, let's listen to another clip of hers where she's actually demonstrating another aspect of the black sound. The United Auto Workers strike is rolling along and we're faced with the threat of impending government shutdown. Those are just two of the big developing political stories this week. And NPR national political correspondent Mara Liason is here to tell us more about them. Good morning, Mara. Hi, Aisha. Okay, let's start with the government shutdown. The the White House is getting federal agencies ready for one while House Republicans left town for the weekend without any kind of deal. What's the sticking point here? So, White House. Okay, let's start with the government shutdown. The the White House is getting federal agencies White ready. House. The White House is getting federal agencies while? ready for one while House Republicans left town for the weekend without any kind of deal. What's the sticking point? Here? This is called monothongization. Listen to that again. Monothongization. And so that means that in Black English, the vowel sound I often is ah instead or more like ah. So white becomes white. That's an overlap between Black English and, for example, Southern white English. However, the backing of that ah vowel, like progress, that's not particularly Southern white English. Black English is a thing of itself. But These are the sorts of things, these vowel placements, as you might call them, that condition our sense that there is a black sound. And Aisha Roscoe uses those more prominently than many black announcers on national radio. And the thing is, her voice being one that's so prominently featured, this is a new sensibility about how an official voice is supposed to sound. I can pretty confidently say that no one with her speech patterns would have been on even, you know, left-leaning, diversity-conscious national public radio until roughly 10 years ago. Things are changing. And Roscoe actually is aware of this. She is aware of the sorts of things people are saying about her voice. And she has said, quote, to NPR's credit, Nobody at NPR ever came to me and said, you need to be a little more polished on the radio. Very easily, someone could have come to me and said, hey, I think you need to clean that up a bit, but no one ever did. And you know what? 
instead of me reading something she said, I'm forgetting that this is a podcast. Why don't we let her speak for herself? Because she actually has as her live self in this clip of her online. Wherever I go and whatever I do, I am a black woman. There are certain things I say where people will know that I'm black. Some people will say, oh, you've kind of turned up your blandness. (laughs) But it's not like I'm turning it up or turning it down. I'm just talking more casually. Whatever I do, I'm myself, because that's the only person I know how to be. But sometimes you may feel it a little more depending on what I'm talking about. And in that, if I may, and I almost feel... Funny, zeroing in so much on details of her speech, given that speaking is subconscious. She is not walking around thinking about any of these things. And I feel like I'm putting her under a lens, but I'm doing this for a larger public purpose. Notice that for I, she says something more like I. Wherever I go and whatever I do, I am a black woman. Thank you, Mike. Or this is a black English trait that people don't think about much, that the media doesn't cover much, but feel is more like feel. Listen. Whatever I do, I'm myself, because that's the only person I know how to be. But sometimes you may feel it a little more depending on what I'm talking about. So all of this is just a different setting of vowels than what you might call mainstream English in America. And in general, she is not going for the the, the rounded tones that you were supposed to do on radio back in the day. Remember Singing in the Rain, the the film, where there's that one scene where Gene Hagen's Lena Lamont, who talks like this, is being trained to deal with the talkies, where suddenly, you know, you're in a silent film, and no matter how you speak, you put a costume and a wig on you, and you look like you talk like... (laughs) Marie Antoinette or whoever. But now everybody had to actually open their mouths. And so there actually were, in early Hollywood, voice coaches, generally from the New York stage, and they would teach you to use rounded tones. So this is Kathleen Freeman, the character actress, against type. Usually she played kind of humble, gronky types, but she is the diction coach. And so here we go. Now, ta te ti to tu No, no, Miss Lamont, round tones, round tones. Now let me hear you read your line. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. Well, that was a very long time ago, and despite the fact that there's still a certain talk of broadcast training, Aisha Roscoe clearly is not concerned with that. She is being herself and doing her job as a journalist. It's about the content rather than the form. And as such, for example, she does not have what is often considered the NPR sound. I even, you know, I'm a big NPR fan, and I have long thought of there being dulcet tones, as I kind of call it in my head on NPR. But the thing is, that's only one way of being on NPR, and it depends on what you call dulcet. Not everybody on NPR has to sound like, for example, remember the Saturday Night Live skit where it was Molly Shannon and I forget who else, and they would parody, you know, NPR type speakers. And it was these kind of whitely (laughs) neutral people who are always, you know, they have their hands around these big mugs of tea. And for them, you know, kind of going one little bit above the flat line is being extreme. Here, Here they are. Remember this? Now, Terry, it's Christmas season again, our favorite time of year. 
That's right, Margaret Jo. Holiday time is when the most wonderful culinary wishes can come true. Now, what's on your list this holiday season, Margaret Jo? Well, Terry, I really got greedy this year. I'm asking Chris Kringle for a wooden bowl, some oversized index cards, and a funnel. Well, you know, in a way, I kind of would rather Aisha Roscoe did not sound like that. In any case, if you want a bonus segment for this episode or any other episode, you're you're not hearing the whole thing if you just kind of listen in. I always do a little more, but for that, you have to give us a little money by going to booksmartstudios.org. Just click on Lexicon Valley and you can join our little club. You can get that and more. I'll tell you about the more at the end of the episode. Get the whole thing. Just, you know, drop a penny into our cup. There's a general trend here. The pox against Aisha Roscoe's voice is interesting because there's a general trend. NPR, as the podcasting universe in general goes as well, NPR is dedicated, I can tell. I've never seen an official statement, but they're dedicated to representing a wider range of American voices than even they used to be. And so, for example, here in New York City on WNYC, I can tell that there has been a deliberate decision to actually feature Black voices, male, female, it almost seems like black is becoming the default voice. Or lately they've been doing something that I find particularly interesting. When they do their their sponsor announcements and their bumpers and things like that, the official voice of WNYC lately is a voice that, if I'm not mistaken, for one thing, it's a black voice. You can tell because of these subtle aspects of vowels and shimmer, etc. But I think the voice is also supposed to be non-binary. I must admit that from day to day, I differ as to whether I think that this person is a man or a woman. And I've come to realize I'm not supposed to be thinking about it at all. It is just a person. Lyrics by Ingrid Michaelson and directed by Michael Greif and Shelley Williams. Broadway previews begin February 10th. Tickets at NotebookMusical.com. That is who you hear all day long on WNYC these days. Things have changed. There's something blowing in the wind. And so, if that's the kind of progress that we're going to embrace, then why is it that somebody who has blackness as a real dominant flavor in their voice instead of something way back in the background, why is it that that's wrong? So we think of dialect discrimination in the newsroom, I could put it that way as a bad thing. Most of us would realize there shouldn't be dialect discrimination. But you know what? Aisha Roscoe is speaking in a non-standard dialect, and yet people don't want to hear, quote-unquote, that. What's going on with that? You know, some of this is something that we really don't talk about in America, and it's class. We don't want to talk about that, especially with race. Then it gets really awkward for all sorts of reasons that would take us beyond what a language podcast is supposed to be about. But the truth is this. The way Aisha Roscoe speaks is associated more with working class people than educated ones. It's a way of speaking where possibly you didn't go to college. She certainly did, and then some. But it is not a way of speaking that signals or comes from you being upper middle class. It's a voice that you might say is of the people. Now, what's wrong with that? The people, these are the people who I think most people who listen to NPR champion. Often they are, quote unquote, the people, depending on what we're talking about. And yet somehow the way she talks is incompatible with serious media. And you know, there's a sexism in it too, because men, black men, 
who sound unapologetically and quite identifiably black don't seem to run up against this kind of complaint as much. So, for example, sports is the thing I know nothing about. But, of course, I know who Stephen Smith is. And from what I see, everybody thinks Stephen Smith is is pretty cute. And he's got that kind of grumpy attitude of his, and he takes a licking and keeps on ticking. He's always there. Well, listen to his voice. Isn't he kind of a male, Aisha Roscoe? There's still a fifth-ranked offense in the National Football League, mm-hmm. despite not having Kelsey for week one. Correct. We know Tyreek Hill is no longer there. We know McCall Harmon is no longer there. Juju Smith-Schuster is no longer there. They got Valdez, Scanlon, Darius, Tony, whatever. Right. He's dropping passes in week one or whatever. Right. We get all of that. Week two, I believe it was. The bottom line is, because you have Patrick Mahomes, and you pointed out the importance of being able to throw the football. Mm-hmm. You have that brother there with Travis Kelsey back. You know, again, Andy Reid's coaching, even though Eric Bieniemy is not there, and you surmise that... Why don't we hear about how Stephen Smith's voice, it's not going to be high-pitched, but frankly, sometimes he can be kind of loud. I get the feeling he grates on a lot of people in terms of the content of what he says, and I wouldn't hear that voice of his as exactly smooth. Those are not the round tones of Don Cornelius on Soul Train. And yet, he's okay. Why is it that if a woman is basically using the same vowel territory and has the same, what you might call, grain, then she shouldn't be on the radio? Really, what's going on with... The response to Roscoe, if you ask me, and of course nobody did, but if you did, this is what I would say. There's a socio-historical lag here in that we are in a country that has increasingly embraced informality in general since the late 60s. And that's in the way that we dress, no fedoras. That's in the way that we dance. No more learning steps to dance. You just stand in front of somebody and wiggle the way you feel like it. That is such an anthropologically odd thing if you really kind of just pull the camera way back. And yet that is now the norm. And in general, we're into informality, authenticity. And a big part of this has been embracing Blackness. Now, racism, of course, persists in ways that I don't need to enumerate. But in terms of cultural affection, there has been a browning of the culture in America. It's really accelerated since the 90s. Rap has been part of it. But it's been going on since the 60s. It's a cultural embrace of blackness in terms of gesture, in terms of song, and in terms of speech. It's becoming part of the American essence Now, once again, it's not that there's no such thing as racism, but what you might even call something rather superficial but deep, that actually makes no sense, but I said it, can't take it back, is that there is this embrace of cultural blackness as American mainstream. This is the sort of thing I mean. The musical, Hairspray, the Broadway musical, when I moved to New York in 2002, it had just become a hit. And I adored it. I love the original John Waters movie. And then here's the musical. The musical, frankly, was better. I actually went and saw Hairspray eight times. That's my record. I saw it over and over. And there was just one part. There's this long number called Welcome to the 60s that's mostly about Edna and Tracy prancing around in new dresses and feeling fabulous. But then at the end, to cap it off, Three black female chorus members, dolled up in Supremes wigs and dresses, come out and just do some gospely celebratory singing for about 30 seconds, and that ends the number. (laughs) 
During that 30 seconds, and I saw the show eight times, the audience, and of course most of the audience at a Broadway show is almost always white, the audience went wild watching these three women imitating the Supremes and doing the gospel, Aretha shouting. They screamed louder at that than almost anything else in the whole two-hour and 40-minute show. And what that means is that blackness in that sense means something, because I can guarantee you that in 1940, that white audience would not have felt that way about three women coming out and singing in that particular way. We are in a new country in that way. Those black voices, everybody thinks, is wonderful. And yet, we have somebody coming on the radio who you could think of as, you know, one of those women in the way they might talk. And somehow, well, you don't want to hear it on a Sunday morning. You know, many people would want to hear it on a Sunday morning in church. But no, you don't want to hear it if somebody's talking about an impending government shutdown. You would think that to elevate a voice like Roscoe's would be a normal development, but no. And you might say, well, it's one thing to enjoy something in a performance, but I don't want to hear it in a podcast. I don't want to hear it on the radio. But the thing is, and I ask with all due attempt at understanding, you might ask, why? Why don't you? Because standards do change. For example, more and more lately, what size people are in advertising is changing. It's becoming ordinary to see somebody who isn't stick thin. Or to take a random example out of my own narrow little existence, more musicals. Merrily We Roll Along, Sondheim's magnificent flop from 1981, is coming back to Broadway. I happened to see the off-Broadway version of this some months ago. And one of the nicest things about it is that many people in the chorus were not skinny. There were people who were plus-sized, and that had nothing to do with their characters. It really did display what people actually look like in the aggregate. Now, we've got a ways to go, but that sort of thing is happening, and I don't think that there's a whole lot of resistance towards it. And in general, with men, we seem to be more flexible about changing our sense of what is listenable. So, for example, let's take Mr. Glass, Ira Glass of This American Life. Here is the voice that heralds that show. This is a radio voice? And so a few of us read the book, including me, and we agreed, this is a story you really don't hear. Basically, the story, there's this couple. He gets Alzheimer's. And of course, so many of us know people with Alzheimer's or dementia. It's like you watch so many things that make them them just get taken away one after another. And it's, I don't know, it's like watching them float off into space or something. But apparently it is because the show has been a massive hit since about 1917. You get the feeling people find Ira Glass's voice kind of cute. I don't think that they would have in, say, 1985. It wouldn't have been considered a radio voice. We've gotten past that, and I think few people would say that that was a bad thing. That nerd voice is now normal. Sometimes they're new normals. You know what Aisha Roscoe's voice sounds like? She sounds normal. She sounds like any number of black American women you might know. I always listen to her and I think she sounds like somebody's cousin. She sounds like that assistant school principal. She's that lady at the bus stop. That person. She's that singer, frankly. People call her voice grating and loud and high-pitched, but how come it's okay in music? And so, for example, random example, and no, it's not going to be from musical theater. Remember the Fugees? Who doesn't, if you were there? And Lauren Hill, 
randomly. You can take one song. Remember Ready or Not? Here's Lauren Hill on Ready or Not. Listen. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make you want me. Ready or not. Ready or not, it's the same thing. It's black English vowels. Nobody would think that a white woman was singing this. Or if it was, it would be a white woman who was doing a very good black English. And, of course, that does exist. But ready or not, it's fierce. It's real. But take away the music, and suddenly it's something you don't want to hear on Sunday morning. Isn't this a little arbitrary? And, you know, I think, I I listen to Ayesha Roscoe, and I think I'll bet black listeners have much less of a problem with her voice. And in fact, one, I found somebody online said, I feel represented when I hear her. I find her voice distinctive. I used to live in Chicago, and I really appreciate the presence of voices of color that WBEZ have in their local newsroom as well. Tastes differ, I know, but if you hate Roscoe's voice, you're hating the way a great many black women talk. Such as, for example, in the NPR segment, listen to this woman who is participating in the auto strike in Detroit. Here she is. Notice she sounds a lot like Aisha Roscoe. So it's not coming in today. It might not come in next week. It might not come in week after next. It may come in in January whenever we all strike. You're willing to go till January? I'm willing to go till next January. Why can't a reporter sound like that woman? In the past, they often haven't. But can it change? Roscoe considers herself to, quote, sound like myself. Are we really going to dismiss that as unwelcome for the response to be, well, I don't like it? There's a chilliness there. And I don't think most of us can really embrace that chilliness. Or if we're going to feel that way, it should be only if we absolutely can't change our lens somewhat. I'm doing something that makes no sense these days. I'm reading the Gotham books by Mike Wallace, the historian. I got through the first one. I think it was 1,200 pages. You just read a few pages a day and you keep doing that. So it's not like I've done this within any short time. I did it. Now I'm in Greater Gotham, the second one. And I've gotten to the Ashcan School in New York. And Mike Wallace put something beautifully about how sophisticated people felt about getting used to looking at new kinds of painting. He said that people were getting used to, quote, the fashioning of new ways of seeing appropriate to new ways of being. That's beautiful, and it applies here, except it could be the fashioning of new ways of hearing appropriate to new ways of being. Amidst the new ways of being of modern America, we might consider new ways of hearing voices as well. And that would apply to the supposedly loud, high-pitched, and grating voice of Aisha Roscoe. Her voice is none of those things. And I think we need to get used to her voice and other voices like it as being official ones. And we could also learn to hear the beauty in them as well. If you'd like to leave a comment or subscribe, please visit booksmartstudios.org. Our producer is, as always, Mike Volo. Go to booksmartstudios at gmail.com to ask a question or two. I, every two weeks, answer questions that our subscribers write in. And the questions are fun. They keep me on my toes. And they teach us things that we wouldn't have known before with us being me as well. 
but you have to subscribe to get your questions answered. Our theme music was created by Harvest Creative Services, and I, as always, am John McWhorter. Thank you.